0: Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Piron. Well, in this conversation with my former student, Mike Hirschin, I learned that there's an enormous worldwide following of every sort of motorsport that you can think of, from BMX, bicycles, to the fanciest, most expensive car on the Indianapolis 500 and everything in between. And that's his niche as a uh, developer, a marketer, and as a driver. So you're gonna hear what basically a lifetime since he started this interest when he was six, fascination and practical interest In motorsports, it sounds like when you listen to Mike Hershen. So here he is, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. (laughs) Mike Hershen. Well, folks, you probably know if you followed this series that one of my favorite conversations to have is with a former student from Central Connecticut State University. And I have found one from a few years back, Mike Hershen. You remember when you graduated? Is it, is it that number come up Uh, when I asked you? It's over 20 years now, but yes. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, at that time, and I still remembered Mike when I, and I still see him on LinkedIn and I have me, have had him uh, in class as a guest. Uh, I've always remembered two things about Mike one he's very easy to listen to he's a very clear thoughtful speaker which you're going to find out in a few minutes and if i'm wrong you can put put it in the comments after afterwards but the other thing is that mike's always like racing he's always uh, i remember he had pictures of uh well maybe not racing cars but exotic cars like Fancy BMWs and stuff, and I'd come over to his desk while he and I was trying to be brilliant and make huge uh, uh, comments about how to live life in a better way, and then Mike would be, his head would be down looking at race cars. Uh, we didn't have we didn't have much in the way of internet access back then for students. Uh, I'm teasing a little bit, but I think that, uh, one of the things that defines. Mike's practice, to me at least, and we'll hear from him, is that uh, he's had a
1: fascination with automobiles. Is that so, Mike? Very much so. ever Ever since I was, uh, you know, a little kid, one of my first photos I have is myself sitting on my my father's BMW 2002 six years old, wearing a, a BMW like one piece uh, pajamas, pressing the. What I thought was the horn of the car, but it was the little BMW roundel on the hood. And uh, you know, I think I was doomed uh, since since birth uh, to be a car guy.
0: Yeah, and why Mike has had a a number of uh, practices, small p, in regard to things that he has done since he graduated. It's always been in the marketing and sales theme. Uh, because you have to actually make some money, uh, and if you're not going to be driving a race car, you know, from from graduation on, and even then, you don't may always make much money. So you have to have a, a a wherewithal and have a family and all the things that people want. But the car piece has stayed with you. And now, tell us what you do about racetracks, races, race drivers. And I I heard you say a
1: social influencer who has a few more listeners than I do (laughs) yeah so um yeah I mean I currently act as an independent consultant for a number of racetracks uh Rock Park here locally in Connecticut and also Laguna Seca out in California Uh, I also work with various race teams to try to help them uh with their sponsorships and and particularly uh one influencer down in Florida Adam LZ who's a a Connecticut uh, native uh, moved down to Florida but has 3.7 3.7 million followers on on YouTube has been, his YouTube channel has been around for 15 years, started in BMX and now is uh, car themed and he does very well for himself and also drives professionally. And so, uh, and, and I do all of that while trying to maintain my own, uh, you know, professional racing career, which is, is difficult because it's very expensive. And, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's one thing to get money for, for other people. And it's, it's a whole different ball of wax when you're trying to raise money for yourself as well are you are you racing in lime rock uh i have uh this year was i I did three professional races at the beginning of the year but the the team couldn't afford to uh to keep that program going um i am going to be racing hopefully coming up here on labor day at the historic weekend that they have uh in in one of my old e30s and um yeah so I, i mean i try to get out there as much as i can it's just a matter of um you know finding the right opportunity and the right funding before we started the
0: call you you cited an an article and a concept with me that i thought was sounded uh, quite good and it, it, was it deliberate practice is that yep. the
1: yeah. yeah. Deliberate, deliberate practice. And and so I'd have to read this article again, because it's been a, a minute since I've read it, but um, it's basically the difference between, it's by James Clear, jamesclear.com forward slash deliberate dash practice. And it's basically the concept of um, you know going out and doing something for the sake of doing it. Like for example, going out for a run and just jogging for 30 minutes a day versus uh, the deliberate action of training for a marathon and trying mm-hmm. to get yourself to a particular time. And, you know, uh, the examples here use it from Mozart, Picasso and Kobe Bryant. But basically mm-hmm. for me, deliberate practice is you're going out with a purpose and you're training to achieve a particular goal, not just going out to, you know, if you're practicing your golf swing and you're you're shanking the ball every time you do it, then mm-hmm. yes, you're practicing it, but you're not deliberately practicing it to get better. And exactly, you're developing a very
0: bad habit, which I finally overcame in in three seasons uh well i i think therefore uh of all of your uh interests since six uh years age six in uh automobiles particularly highly engineered automobiles you know with race cars obviously being among those but not so much all i mean cars that were really intentionally and deliberately designed for people who have as their practice uh winning races and or uh driving in tours and other things where you've got to be rely heavily on the on the automobile uh, from start to finish uh now i've got to know what is it like for you once again when you get behind the wheel and, and they wave the flag to start a race What what's going on in inside my
1: cursion so it's it's funny because i i've i've thought about this recently and and the evolution of of how that happened so i actually did my first track day at lime rock in in 1996. Mm -hmm. so it's it's been quite a while i went bmw club racing so i did a bunch of track days uh you know just just learning how to do all this i did a little bit of club racing from 2004 to 2006 but then i bought a house and i got married and had kids and that went on pause for a little while. So while I was, you know, not being able to afford racing, I was still going to track days and and sitting right seat and teaching others how to do it. And so um in 2016 is when I kind of picked that back up and and found a way to have it funded and uh I rented out seats and and um really started to I kind of took it as this is my chance that I'm able to race and and make something of it. And so I dedicated all of my being into making that happen. And, you know, when I think about, you know, now when I get into a race car, having, you know, the experience that I do, it really comes down to muscle memory and experience. And a lot of racers that go in, they might have the funds uh, very early in life or, uh, you know, immediately, and they they jump right from uh, you know their their professional business doing very well, or they're uh, the child of of somebody that's wealthy, and they jump into a car, and they have all the opportunity in the world. But what they don't have is is that practice. They don't have the experience, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I mentioned the, the ride I had in 2016. And, and like I jokingly used to say that I spent 18 years perfecting how not to go racing. And so now <laughs> when I when I uh, got the opportunity to do so, I knew exactly how to do it because I was obsessed with all the aspects of it, just from the cars, the technology, the the operations, the logistics of it, all of those things I was just consumed by. And so, um, you know, once once you do it, and you realize what things don't work, it makes it much clearer to identify what things are going to work because you have that experience of, of failing so many times.
0: Knowing what kinds of things are most likely to work uh, because of all the things you just said, to me is a really great way to explain the payoff for people who have deliberate practice in their lives. Because it's some of the things you've ruled out over time, or Peter Vale has in one of our book Conjectures, that practice is a limitative, meaning that it you 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 refine and you throw out the things or set aside the things that aren't working and gives you more of a concentration. So when you're behind that wheel, uh each time now you uh don't have to fumble too much you kind of know more precisely uh what you have to do but also and this is the what they used to call court sense for basketball players or anyone else you kind of also have to know the whole arena and what other cars are likely to do and if if you have a pit crew that's ready to go all the things that go on including your sponsors and and the crowd so it's a lot large, much larger uh, ecosystem isn't it Mike just yeah. to get you behind the wheel and get you put your foot down on that pedal
1: yeah and it's it's really about understanding and being confident in what you know or what you can control uh versus letting outside influence come in and uh impact you know what you're thinking about or uh, at the moment if if you need to be focused on you know the car what the car is doing in front of you or what turns coming up and you're thinking about something completely different then you're probably going to mess up or potentially hit that car <laughs> and, and you're going so,
0: how fast at the time well it
1: varies but you know it could be going uh, uh, at least 90 to 100 miles an hour Doesn't it does not give you a lot of time to decide <laughs> it, it does not and and because things you know the, the your your sensory overload is uh you know objects are coming at you pretty quickly and you, you don't have a lot of time to decide you really rely on you know, your subconscious and your, your muscle memory in order to react to those pieces. And, and that's why when, you know, younger inexperienced drivers specifically, they tend to hit more things or or get into more accidents or, or miss a corner because they just don't have that experience built up yet.
0: Yep. What, uh, what are you learning uh, uh, from and about the drivers you're, you're now marketing in teams and, and so forth? You, is there are there some common characteristics of their determined practices, uh, so that if you're representing them and raising funds, you know they're not going to be that uh, rookie kid who you know hasn't hasn't developed that kind of sense yet. That what is, what do you want to have to say about your drivers that makes people say, okay, I think this guy will not turn my
1: car into a pile of Yeah, sure. And, you know, it's funny, because I had a much different perception of what this world was like when I was growing up. And the drivers that I, I guess, idolized would maybe a little bit strong of a word, but I I idolized and looked up to and and thought that they were, you know, really good. Uh, Now, being able to drive against them and compete against them and realizing which one of the ones were were really good and really fast and which one of the ones basically just bought their way in because of the way that motorsport is about the only professional sport where you can buy your way into a seat, oh, whereas goodness. you can't buy your way into the NBA. You actually have to be good and and <laughs> yeah. the play. Um, but in motorsport, you'll see a lot of, you know, uh, successful business people that do this as a hobby, and are into cars, and you know they fund a lot of the the operations that go on there, and a lot of them are are you know good, but this is not what they do for a living, and so uh, in terms of their practice, they're still you know on on the early days of of their training their muscle memory and you know typically what happens in the the type of racing that that i do endurance racing is you have a a pro-am environment where we have a pro where their job that's all they do they practice driving they drive race cars for a living or they coach and then they team up with an am who's a successful business owner makes you know, millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars a year or more, and and funds the entire program, and and they bring in the pro to help elevate them, and the two of them together compete for a championship, and that's what most of racing is is like.
0: I've never never realized that the pro and the am in yours in motorsport is uh, a teaching learning combination. Mm-hmm. You know, the pro and the learner, the am, uh, but the am eventually wants to become good enough. To not turn pro necessarily, but to be sure that he or she uh, is going to show up at the finish line in one piece and maybe even win. Right. Uh, Have you ever seen an am uh, in your experience go, you know, come in even with her millions or his millions and really have enough natural ability that they show
1: tremendous uh, gains
0: uh, in a shorter period of time than others?
1: Um they they do and it, it's hard to say because I don't know what they did prior to showing up to the public stage. Yeah. Uh but you know there's been you know some famous some famous names. Uh, Paul Newman who who passed recently, but he you know he was famous. They they just named the back straight at Lime Rock Park after him. Uh but he even in his seventies was winning races. Yeah, I mean he had some really good natural ability. And uh, Patrick Dempsey uh, came in and and raced for a little while at at the highest level and really dedicated himself to learning that. I I think a lot of people that are in positions that, that can afford to do this, look at it from the outside and say, I have the means or I've driven a Porsche or whatever, and I can do this. And then they get there and they realize how difficult it is. And even somebody like Patrick Dempsey, um, or, I mean, there, there's so many actors that, that have kind of gone into this and, and some of them just fly in and out and they, uh, you know, they, they, they like to do it. They like the, the hype that it builds up and then they kind of drop out of the sport because they don't actually dedicate themselves to right. to being good at it. But um, I remember Patrick Dempsey was, you know, he kind of like he had to cut out some of the acting stuff just to focus on being a better driver to compete at you know twenty four hours the Tona or twenty four hours Le Mans. and now he still operates as as a team owner. Uh, don't know how much driving he personally does anymore, but it's 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 very difficult. And I think that's the biggest part, the biggest wake up for anybody that tries to do it, is realizing you know uh, uh, there's a new saying now. It's like we didn't do it because we. Uh, because it's easy. We done it because we thought it was going to be easy. <laughs> I love that. Yep. Uh, you
0: can use that in a lot of different yep. uh, sectors. Uh, but, uh, you know, the story of Patrick Dempsey, uh, the fact that, you know, he was extremely successful and, you know, was, was rocking it and very still very attractive and smart person and from Maine. I might mention. I don't know if you knew I was from Maine. I don't think I ever mentioned it. Of course, I might have mentioned it maybe a hundred times in class. But uh, there's something about uh, almost like a uh, a membrane in the sport where you come up to it and you hit it like he might have and said, "Okay, you know, I'm I'm doing pretty well. I'm good. I'm gonna pour more time into my acting. I'm gonna go out for more gigs." But he had this desire to break through that membrane and become more proficient than ever and he had to make some sacrifices to do it and he must have had a love of the sport because now as you say he's invested in a team what what does a team uh, owner do what, what other than provide money what, what's their impact on on a team
1: and and ultimately the sport realistically you know the money component obviously is there but you know i think he's bought in because the the math equation is you know you have your expenses for running the team which in his case is is you know somewhere in the seven figures but if you can bring in partners that are seven figures plus your profit then you know you can turn this into a profitable business there's i don't i would say maybe 25% of the teams run that way and then there's most of the other teams are just spending a lot of money and you know, <laughs> if you get to the very top where you get to Formula One or IndyCar or NASCAR, any of those series, most of those teams have some piece of the the TV deal and the TV rights. Yeah. So so all the NASCAR teams, they have a charter and they get a, a percentage of the TV money that comes in based on where they finish. And that's realistically how they're funded. Then they get the additional money from sponsorships. Yeah. In, in Patrick Dempsey's deal, because He is, uh, all all the things that you mentioned, attractive, well-known and, and, you know, he's good on camera. He probably attracts a lot more sponsors than, than somebody else that may just, you know, run the team, doesn't have a lot of branding, doesn't put a lot of effort into marketing themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but the team aspect here is, is probably the most important because every single you know cog in that wheel if if somebody doesn't tighten a lug night if somebody you know that could ruin the entire race if you know any part fails or somebody forgot to tighten something you know that that's a that's a liability for the entire team so while the driver gets a lot of the accolades it's really the entire team that makes it possible
0: uh uh we certainly taught a lot about teams and teamwork in the management classes at central, and I used to try to reach for any and all examples, including some of my exercises that I would design, where you know, you're all in teams in class and classes. So, forth. but, uh, it was like, okay, we're in a chapter on teams. Now I looked at it as far more seriously than that. But I think if you were happened to be a guest in my class today and the students were there and you s- and pointed out how a, a team, uh, that's putting a driver in a reliable, safe automobile, every on that team does something critical to the ultimate success, not just the guy steering the wheel and flooring the, the pedal. Uh, certainly the mechanical team. Uh, what about the pit crew? How, how it, it, I watch enough movies and TV shows to see. They're kind of amazing. But uh, it, what kind of, practice development muscle memory must they have because the less time they use in the pit and do it right with those tires and
1: fixing the the faster the guys out there on the clock yeah no pit, i mean the pit crew the crew specifically in in nascar indycar formula one those are dedicated uh you know positions dedicated roles within a team because in nascar they're doing pit stops in the Seven eight second range, uh, mm-hmm. four tires and all the fuel. Unbelievable! And it, if they can do it in six seconds, and they can that one second will jump them ahead of so many teams, and that finishing ahead of that many teams is worth, let's just say, a million dollars at the end of the year. So it's really important for them to be as fast as possible and have a competitive advantage over their teams. The the other teams are competitors because they will just move up the ranks that much higher. And there's you know prize money associated with that i think though the the biggest lesson here from a leadership perspective is that the team has to understand that they're part of a team these are not people that are working for you they're working with you and they need to understand that you know that they are part of a team and they are a crucial role because a lot of times their jobs are are thankless they're they're not as visible they it's hot they're dirty you know they're underneath the car wrenching a lot and and you know they they kind of get looked down upon because they're you know maybe blue collar jobs but realistically without those people being you know at the top of their game and feeling like they're part of the the bigger picture and the win you know they're going to they're not going to work and operate at at their most effective level yeah. and that's the part that is you can see I, i've witnessed so many teams that kind of have you know a toxic attitude or or the the owner or the leader doesn't pay their their team well or or doesn't get them the the best accommodations and they're sleeping in air mattresses or doesn't feed them well at the track and, and those types of things just cascade down to you know people not being motivated to to be at their best and and affects the overall performance of the whole organization
0: and and what does the crowd do they 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 yell at the at the driver and and say what's wrong with you how come you're you know you're not you know even close to the middle of the pack uh and the driver sitting in there completely dependent upon that somewhat failed team and doesn't have the performance he needs from the vehicle and probably isn't all that motivated either if the owners uh, kind of setting that culture. So there's an I- there's another idea for teaching management. To, it's a clear-cut lesson how the entire system of people's interactions from owner and others, anyone who's connected in ultimately to that vehicle, you can see the results at 110 miles an hour going around a circle. Uh, it's quite amazing because uh, they often we as you as you said earlier you know the the trophy goes to the driver and the poster with her picture on it goes up on the wall but it's really a lot more people than that and the and the smart drivers would be, be right there giving credit yep. you know for every time they're on air or anything else uh, i'm curious about the pod the influencer your your uh, person in in florida uh, it, it shows that there's I guess Jarkin would be a fan base for motorsports and that he has tapped into it. But what what are you discovering from his experience helping him with that uh, with that cause that that keeps drawing people and keeps so many hits coming on his website?
1: Yeah, that's so His his
0: YouTube channel.
1: Yeah. So honestly, I'm still figuring it out actively with him and you know he's he's 28 years old he started his uh channel 15 years ago as a a bmx channel and he used to ride bmx bikes and make different videos about how to do different tricks and how to take your bike apart and put it back together and he really built up a big audience doing that and then as he grew up and he figured out he's, he's very intelligent went to school for engineering uh but also was you know, doing a e-commerce kind of business on the side out of his college dorm room, he he bought his first house while he was still in college. He uh, was doing well enough where he didn't really need to, you know, do much with his college degree, and he didn't want to push paper as an engineer. So decided that he was just going to go all in on on what he was doing uh, through his YouTube channel. And as he grew up, he got more and more into cars and his audience kind of grew up with him and was Mm. also interested in learning. And there's a lot of crossover between, you know, the car scene and going to car shows and modifying your car with, you know, skateboarding or BMX or surfing or any of the alternative sports. Yeah. And, um, he just really, the the biggest difference between him and other like if I tried to start an automotive channel now, I I just don't have that audience and no, while, got, it's, yeah yeah you start at zero or well, your wife and kids and a couple of uncles you know it, exactly <laughs> but it, it, you know the information that we're we're sharing is is still relevant uh, it just it doesn't have uh, the audience and there's a lot of competition and there's really something to be said about being a first mover, but yeah. uh, at the same time he is you know talk about practice he uploads a video every two days and it's 20 to 30 minutes long and it's you know to to record your life on a constant basis and have the discipline to you know provide something to your followers and, and continue leveraging the the audience and the youtube algorithm and all that is is a testament in itself because that's a lot of dedication
0: um, what's essentially the content of his of
1: his uh, bi-weekly videos so, researched items observations <laughs> so uh, to i'd have to give you some some background so you'd understand but he he currently uh, resides in a 30 acre compound just north of orlando he has 22 structures on the f- facility that have you know shops and buildings he has his own paint booth he has uh, one building has 44 post lifts in it there's over 100 cars on the property and so and and two e-commerce businesses that also reside on the property and so he basically takes cars that he's interested in a lot of them are are you know rare or uh you know unique cars from from the uh japanese domestic market or race cars or drift cars and he works on them and then talks about what he's doing and it's it's really he's taking people along with his journey as he's learning he's explaining what he's learning and he's you know acting as one with his audience he's not talking down to his audience about this is how you do it he's he's just taking them with him on his journey and the the lesson that he kind of uh taught me is he'll buy a car doesn't matter what it is, but he can buy a car for a hundred thousand dollars. and while most people would look at that, that's a crazy expense on a depreciating asset. He will make you know two two and a half, three times that on just the content he creates. So every time he buys a car, he makes it back you know two or three x because he's talking about it making content and then he can turn around and sell it for a little bit more and that's where his, his opportunity and his his profit is coming from
0: what's his name again so people can listen to it
1: adam lz
0: l z that's he just letter l L letter z yep adam lz Uh, i gotta get a podcast with him (laughs) (laughs) i'll follow up with you mike i'm watching my clock and uh i just we could do i could run this for the whole day because you've got so much going on and you're very clear and quick with your answers which i predicted at the beginning of our conversation folks Mike is succeeding, as he always has. Mike, remember the time uh, uh, we brought you in? We, I was involved with the Traveler's Edge program at the time. And I we brought you in to, to, to talk to these kids about being on LinkedIn, about mm-hmm. having a LinkedIn profile. Now, that was when linked what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but uh, most of the attention that I get to, when I post about my episodes it comes through LinkedIn and Facebook, but LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So it's really come a long way, but you were one of the ones. I think this is your marketing cap that said, oh, wait a minute. You've got to have a brand instead of these kids. You, you've got to be a presence on social media long before
1: it was a thing. Uh, how do you feel about that prediction now? <laughs> it It's still uh, it, it's it's funny because I, I I just got a ding on my, my other screen here. Uh, Do you know, do you remember uh, Rich Finhase? Sure. So he, I I haven't, we played soccer together and I haven't talked to him in 20 years. And uh, I just met with uh, an insurance broker guy that I met through the world of motorsports uh, last week, last Monday, had lunch with him. And he was mentioning a couple of things. And I had remembered that Rich had posted something about Wax, the the new venture that he's doing. And I, I just put the two of them together this morning on LinkedIn. And for me, that wouldn't have. I don't know how else that would have happened unless we, you know, randomly crossed paths at a, a diner, a or bar, or something like that, and we we saw each other. But you know, I I post what I'm doing. Uh, you know, not every day, but when I have anything of significance, I I try to keep my LinkedIn profile somewhat updated. And mm-hmm. you know, Rich is is doing the same thing. And and you know, by coincidence, I I had lunch with this guy that the two of them should meet. They do a lot of business with Chubb Insurance. And um, I just put them together and, and we'll see where that goes. And, you know, hopefully they can, you know, do some business together. And to me, that's really about, you know, what LinkedIn is about is, is yeah. you know, helping other people in your network and yep. staying relevant and staying noticed. And and then hopefully if there's ever an opportunity for Rich or Andy to to reciprocate, they will. They will.
0: And yeah, it, it, that's it's it's so basic to uh, the way business ought to be done, and, and in many many ways has always been done uh, through people uh, concern, seeing the possibility for another, not just yourself, and putting them together with someone who has a need may or may not show up. Hey, you know, for for months or years, and then it clicks, and uh, and. F- a lot of people get really good jobs that way. They think it's all about resume and all about that. But someone will say, Hey, I, I really think you should reach out to X or Y because he's got something you're looking for. And they reach through the sieve and ask someone if they would apply. And and so on and so forth. But so you you did those students quite a favor. By now, Mike, many of them, particularly those who went to work for travelers after Edge, have homes kids' cars and have enough money to go watch a race at Lime Rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there you go. Fine. Ultimately, someone sitting in that stand maybe someone who helped at CCSU uh, in one of my classes or in the EDGE program. So I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you for this conversation.
1: It's been terrific to see you again. Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And anytime you need uh, somebody Thanks to talk listening. about race cars, I'm happy to do so. Okay.
0: Where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast page. And if you'd like to learn more about social action and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and one more thing. How could I forget? The book On Practice as a Way of Being is available now in digital form. Something that would be new like podcasting to many of us. And it's a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when Peter Vale and I originated it several years ago. So please come to www.mylibrary.world slash practice, and you'll see what I mean.